please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is going to come from Isaiah. I want to invite you to turn over there with me. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1, we are going to read the first seven verses of Isaiah together. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1, begins, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice At the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of the Midian defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. And as you are seated, we do have Kingdom Kids today, which is our ministry for those who are four years old through second grade. And they can meet Miss Marcia right over here, who will take them to the upstairs of our education building right next door, the metal building right next door, where they can be picked up after the service today. A couple real quick announcements. Um, We are getting ready for a new year. And with that new year, we are beginning a new Bible reading plan together. And I want to invite you today to pick up one of the plans off the back table. Looks like this. On the inside, it has some prayer cards. It looks like that. And it's uh, they're perforated. You can tear them apart. And there's instructions in there on how to fill them out. All right. It mentions in the instructions that there's actually a little handout that has some scripture verses that you can use as part of your uh, prayer card system. And you'll see that handout. There's a few handouts on this table in the foyer when you leave if you want to grab some of those. Now, I'm kind of doing a flyby on that. All right. I'm going to go in depth and in detail on this plan, what we hope to accomplish, how it's going to work. Starting January 1st, that Sunday, January 1st, we're going to cover all of this. And then the reading plan actually begins on January 2nd because it's a five-day-a-week plan, unlike the plan we're coming out of that is a seven-day-a-week plan. Going to go over all that January 1st, but if you already know you're not going to be here that day for whatever reason, if you pick this stuff up and you read through it, you'll be fine. You'll know what to do. You'll know where to go. But as always, if you have any questions... 
about the reading plan, feel free to uh, text me or give me a call or shoot me an email. All my contact information you can find on the back of the bulletin. Also, we're ending, we're getting close to the end of the year. And uh, if you've been in service much lately, you know we've been talking about um, uh, nominating new deacons to our deacon body. And so just a quick reminder that we need your forms turned in uh, by the end of this year so they can get to work on that. Forms look like this. So one sheet form, fill it out. You can put it in either box. Uh, as you exit, you can just fold it up and stick it in there, and we will get them to uh, our deacon body. You can give it to me or Rosemary, and we'll make sure they get it as well. But that is coming up, so only a few few weeks left before we wrap up the nominating process and go from there. Okay, I think that was all I was going to announce. So let me just pause and pray, and if you would, please pray with me. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this, uh, this good service we have had so far. God, that you are present with us, that you have spoken to us through your word through music, through songs. God, you are so creative that you would come up with a variety of ways to share who you are with us. God, through even the fellowship with one another, through driving to church and just seeing the beauty of nature and just on and on we could go. God, you are pointing us to who you are and what you have done for us. And in this season, to pay even uh, closer attention to how it is you have sent your son Jesus into this world and the impact that it makes in our lives, in the lives of those around us. So now, God, we come to this message uh, from Isaiah. We, God, acknowledge that you stand behind this. It is your Holy Spirit that gave Isaiah the words to speak, that spoke to his people then and speak to us today. God, I pray that you help our minds to be uh, attentive, able to hear what you want to say to us, soften our hearts to receive it, and ready our hands and feet to live it. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I remember um, when I was 20 years old, it was the first time I ever really lived away from home. Some of you know a little bit about my story. I was working at a church plant in Oregon. And I was living on campus in uh, Portland and commuting 30 minutes up the river to uh, the town in which we were planting the church. And I moved into a city of well over a million people, and I literally knew no one. I had one guy there that I kind of knew, but we were just beginning to get to know each other. We weren't longstanding friends. So I had no relationships with anybody. And that first semester at school was actually really difficult, as you might imagine, if you can recall those days. It was a challenge to be away from family, to be away from friends, people. I, I, like some of you, I grew up in the same little town my entire life. And so to leave that area after 20 years existing there and to be that far away was a challenge. And so I was especially looking forward to coming home at Christmas. And it was a nice time being home. And I remember my mom, she was driving me back to the airport, and I was flying out of Austin. And on the way there, uh, my emotions overcame me because I just was kind of dreading, you know, going back. I did not want to go back to uh, a city where I knew almost no one and, and dorm life with people that had not yet become my friends. It was just a very lonely and, and challenging time. And some of you can relate, but I'm not a big crier. Uh, I don't like to cry. I feel very uncomfortable with it, to be honest with you. I try very hard to avoid it. Even, you know, you know, we're watching the Hallmark movies or whatever. 
you know, the sappy commercial comes on. You know, I just, I, I hold it in like a man, you know what I mean? I just, re, I just repress all of that feeling, okay? And so I'm not a big crier, and here I am also, I'm, I'm with my mom, and so I especially don't want to cry in front of her, and, uh, but I couldn't, I couldn't help it. So I just look out the window, turn my whole body, and look out the window and quietly sob. And of course, you know how moms are. She knows something's up. And she probably knew, like, the moment I landed, something was up. So she's been waiting for this moment, okay? And so then I'm sitting there, I'm crying, and she's asking me what's wrong. And I'm saying, Mom, I just don't want to go back. And I did go back. I got on that plane, and I went back. And, and it was a challenge. God saw me through that challenge, ended up staying in the Northwest, working at that church for, for six years. And, uh, but I was reflecting on that today because I thought, you know, we all can approach a Christmas or two or maybe several in our lives. We get to that season, and, and we're supposed to be joyous. We're supposed to be happy. You know, everything's bright and beautiful, and, and it's supposed to be a time of, of cheer. But in our hearts, it feels more like gloom. Uh, maybe you feel that way this Christmas season. Maybe you're thinking about those you wish were with you to celebrate. Maybe Christmas brings for you a, a financial stressors. Maybe it reminds you of the job issues that you have and trying to figure out what to do. Maybe for you it's about relationship problems, and you know this is supposed to be a happy time with family, but you're, you fear it won't be. Uh, there's all sorts of things that could come with this season that aren't so cheery, that in fact can be in some ways uh, gloomy. And it's interesting because we read Isaiah 9, particularly verse 6, and we read it with such hope and beauty, but we often don't realize how much gloominess is happening behind the scenes, which is the very reason in which God gave Isaiah the words to speak, to give them hope in the midst of the gloom. Now, what was taking place in Isaiah's day? You know, it was one of those things, you know, uh, when we were, work, we were working through this Old Testament reading plan, and we only had one sermon in Isaiah. And it's really hard to do one sermon in Isaiah and not preach Isaiah 53. I won't go into it, but if you go and read it, you'll understand why. But there's a couple passages in Isaiah that if I had a few more sermons, I would preach out of those. And I do have a few more sermons, and I kind of thought, you know what? I don't think we need to hear about Amos and Jonah. Let's go back to Isaiah. So you're going to read about Amos and Jonah, and it's worth reading. But I want to talk about the beauty of the gospel shining forth through Isaiah, which has been called the fifth gospel, because it has such a beautiful announcement, a clear announcement of the coming birth of Jesus. And Isaiah's people needed to hear that, because they were in a gloomy season. In fact, that's how verse one begins, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. Whenever you read nevertheless, what do you think? Well, what do you mean nevertheless? What happened prior to that? Look at one verse prior to that, and we will see what was so gloomy in chapter 8, verse 22. The last verse of chapter 8 says, Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That is the gloominess that Isaiah is speaking into. The gloominess that was the fact that Israel had been divided into two kingdoms, if you recall. The northern kingdom has now already been overtaken by a country called Assyria. And that same country is looking to overtake 
Judah as well. And Isaiah is in that southern kingdom of the divided kingdom of Israel. He's in that Judah uh, where Jerusalem resides. And they are dealing with this pressure. They've seen what has happened to their brothers and sisters to the north, and they know that this is God's judgment on them for not listening to God, for not faithfully obeying God, and God is punishing them, not in order to cast them away from Him, but in order to eventually draw them back to Him. Punishment is one word. Another word to use might be discipline. He's disciplining them so that they can learn and grow and follow Him faithfully as they should, but they're in that discipline time. They're in that gloomy, dark period. So they are anticipating that just as what happened to Israel to the north is exactly what's going to happen to them in the south in Judah. Now, it's going to take about 100 years before all that comes to pass, but the writing is on the wall, which is actually a phrase that literally comes from this season of, uh, or, or the season that is to come of Israel and Judah's life. So Isaiah knows that. And he is trying to encourage people with hope. More specifically, God knows this and God is giving Isaiah this message of hope. And what is this message that he is there communicating to them? This is where it gets a little confusing with a lot of names, but it helps to know what's taking place and it helps us to connect the dots. Okay, so again, look back in verse 1. In the middle of verse 1, it says, In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea and beyond the Jordan. Now, what, what are these names and what do they mean? Well, Zebulun and Naphtali were in the northernest part of Israel, and they were the ones that were hit hardest by the Assyrians. Remember, the Assyrians came in and overtook Israel. That's why Judah's shaking in their boots, because they saw that happen to their counterpart in the north. And, and so just acknowledging what has already taken place. Yeah. In the past, God did humble them because of their disobedience. But in the future, God will honor them. And then he goes on to list another place called Galilee. Now, maybe you've heard of Galilee because if you know anything about Jesus's earthly ministry, this is his headquarters. He's, he's born in Bethlehem. He's raised in Nazareth. But when it comes time for him to be a, a public minister, of the, when, he, when it comes time to share the gospel and embody the truth and call people to repentance, that, that home base is coming out of Galilee. And it's interesting that Jesus knew this. Now, he knew Isaiah. He knew the word of God, partly because he stands behind it as its author. So he knows this. And so we read in Matthew 4, 12 through 17, something interesting. There was a guy who was sent before Jesus to prepare the way, a guy named John the Baptist. And when, when Jesus hears that John the Baptist had been put into prison, he, withdrews, he withdraws to a place called Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. Capernaum is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, which was, and listen to this. This is, this is Matthew uh, chapter 4. Listen to what it says in verse 13. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake, and, uh, which was by the lake, that's uh, the Lake Galilee, in the area, area of Zebulun 
and Naphtali. Now, didn't we just read about that in Isaiah? Yes, we did. Why? Why why did Jesus go here? Verse 14 of Matthew chapter 4 says, To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Which is a combination of Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. From that time on, Jesus began to repeat, to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Oh, what's taking place? Jesus is saying, I am that light that's shown in the darkness. I am that hope that God promised his people 700 years ago would come. I am the glory that God is bringing about in the midst of gloom. That is what Jesus is saying he has come to do. He is identifying himself with this passage. And he is showing us how glory can come from gloom, how hope can be born even in the midst of heartache, of how there can be light breaking through our darkness. And I think this this helps us because, as I said, Christmas is not always a cheerful time for everybody some point or another, we're going to have a Christmas or two or many where it is a challenge to experience all the cheer that's going around us because of the gloom that's taking place within us. And I think that's such a beautiful message in the midst of this awesome announcement that a son is going to be born who will be savior of the world. It's not a message spoken into a cheery season, but it is a message spoken into... A gloomy season. Because it was gloomy in order to bring about hope. And if you read through this passage again, you'll see it's not just hope, but hope that leads to rejoicing. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. It says it over and over again in this passage. So I want us to look at that and say this announcement, this this light that has dawned into the darkness, how does that help us? When we're in that dark season, even when it's supposed to be a cheery time of Christmas, how can we lean into that? Well, we see this starting in verse 6, right? Unto us a child is born. God is going to send someone into this world that is going to bring about that hope that we need to face the darkness we're experiencing. The child himself is the light that is being brought into the world. For unto us a child is born, verse 6 says. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now that sets us up for what is to come. Because what is to come is an announcement not just about a child, but a king. A king who will take the government of the world upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now we rightly say... This is a prophetic word about Jesus. This is telling us who Jesus is. This is the hope of Israel and Judah that they had when they were facing their gloomy days. They were looking ahead to one that would come that would be their savior. 
a king who would sit on David's throne forever. And so I want to look at each of these four titles and think about this. This Jesus who embodies these four titles is the one who has come and is here now. This is who has, who is accessible to us in our present day. This is who we have access to here and now. First, he is a wonderful counselor. What that means is he's all wise. To give counsel is to give advice or wisdom on how to do what needs to be done. And in this case, he is a wonderful counselor in this. He does not need outside counsel. He is all the counsel he needs. In other words, God is all-knowing. Fancy word for that is omnipotent. Say omni, or, 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 or omni, uh, what's the word? Now I've forgotten it. Omnipresent. Omni, what is it, Dennis? Help me out. Omniscient. Thank you. Omniscient. He knows everything. I should have wrote that down. I wrote everything else but that. But y'all came through. All right, omniscient. I, I was going to have you say it with me. <laughs> and I didn't even say it right. Okay. Omniscient. Say it with me. Omniscient. He knows everything, right? This is, this is the glory of Jesus coming into the world is we have a king who knows everything. He doesn't need counsel. But he's also one who is willing to share what he knows. We have one that stands in our corner who knows everything and is willing to provide that counsel for us when we don't know what to do. When the things that have got us down are challenging our joy and challenge the, challenging the Christmas cheer that wants to come through but can't, and we don't know what to do about that, guess what? God does. He's the one who can give us the counsel we need. He's all wise. He's omniscient. But he's also, he's also uh, omnipotent. Say omnipotent with me. Omnipotent. Okay, that one went smoother. Good job. All right. He's mighty God. Now, this, is, this works on, in two ways that I think are helpful. Okay? He's, he's mighty God. Mighty tells us he is powerful. So it's not just that he knows stuff. He can actually follow through on that stuff. It's not just that he's wise. He can do what is wise, whatever that might be. But this tells us something else that's very important. It tells us this person who is wise is not just a person. This child that is born into this world is not just a human. What does it say? Mighty who? Mighty God, right? There is something unique and special about this child that was born. Now, if you you cut this out and the next little part, we'll get to in just a second, you would just say Israel's in for a really great king. Isn't that wonderful? They've had great kings before. Had a lot of bad ones, but they had some really great ones. The one that stands at the top of the list is David. So now they're going to get another really great king. No, no, this is different. David was not God. No king of Israel was compared to God. But this king that is to come is. Now, who would be totally a human king born in the line of David, a child that is born, a son that is given, and yet be God? There can be only one, and it's Jesus. He is almighty God. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to live in a, to have a, a gloomy season. He knows what it's like to, to deal with difficulty and sadness of heart and, and, and to not, uh, not, not to have, uh, not to be, you know, cheery all the time, but to be known as a man of sorrows who, who knows what it's like to suffer. And yet he is a mighty God, powerful and able to overcome. And that is who we have in Christ. 
Now we get another title, Everlasting Father. Again, there's two parts to this that are helpful. Everlasting, that tells us, again, this is not a normal human being. This is not a king who would live and die. Uh, First king, Saul, lived and died. Second king, the greatest of Israel's earthly kings, David, lived and died. David's son, who was the wealthiest and wisest of all kings, the Bible says, Solomon, lived and died. Right? King after king for Israel, and then later Israel and Judah lived and died, lived and died, lived and died. All to stay dead. But this king would live and live eternally. Now, Isaiah only knew what he knew, what God gave him to know in that present time. So he combined Isaiah's suffering servant of chapter 53, a servant who would come and die for his people that his people might be forgiven. And yet here we have this king that will live forever. Well, how do you have a suffering servant that will die and save his people and yet have a king who will sit on the throne forever? You have a king who lives and dies to rise again. Who fits that? There is no one but Jesus. So Jesus is the one who is not only mighty God, but he's everlasting father. He's everlasting. Yes, he died, but only to be risen again and live forever. And father also helps us understand something about God. Something that's important to know is that God is relational. He cares to relate to you and me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in relationship with one another before he ever created us. It's three, uh, it's one God existing in three persons. There, that is a mystery that cannot be solved by the human mind, but it tells us something beautiful. God is relational and he created you and me, not because he's lonely. They had one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From before time began, they had relationship. They didn't need us. They wanted to share their love with us. God, our triune God, wanted to share his love with us, and so he created us. Now, what this tells us, everlasting Father, is that Jesus can be seen as a father. Now, we have God the Father. So how is Jesus the Father? Is this equating the two? No. Again, Remember, going back uh, to verse 6, the government will be on his shoulders. These are all ways of talking about a king. And a father would be seen as a king because the father would protect and provide for his family. And so the king sometimes would be referred to as, as that holy father who, was, who would come to protect, come to provide. And this is, this is simply saying this king will do that better than any other king. He comes to protect He comes to provide. Why? Because he loves us. And that's what we see in Christ. He is the good shepherd that lays down his life to protect the sheep. He is the bread of life that gives us nourishment. He is the living water that gives us drink, right? He is the great provider and protector. And lastly, as Prince of Peace, what do you want from your king? What you want from your king is... Provision and protection, but you also want peace. You want someone who can deal with the enemy. Someone who can uh, keep the harmony. But it's always important to to keep in mind that uh, peace in the Bible, shalom, is intended to indicate a wholeness of life. Bring everything together, not just the absence of war, but the present peace with God. 
to have connection to God, to have, have your life truly full and truly whole, centered on our life with our Creator. And this is the kind of king Jesus would be, to connect the creation broken by sin with its Creator once again. So what are we saying here? The hope that they needed in Isaiah's day, the very same hope that you and I may need during this season, we can look to Jesus for that. We look to Jesus as the one who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful, who has, uh, has all the love in the world for us as a father, and who has it all together bringing peace and wholeness to us. It's not... I think um, a small thing to say that dwelling on what we have in Jesus can bring us out of gloom and into joy. This is not a one-time thing. Sometimes this is every minute of every day kind of thing that we have to remind ourselves again and again that we have Jesus and this is what it means. This is who he is. This is what he's done. This is, this is what I have to give thanks for. Sometimes we have to, when, when we're really in the gloom, like Isaiah's people were in Isaiah's day, when, when you're really going through it, and it can become very easy to get fixated on all the reasons that you have to be gloomy. I think it's important for us to recall those words. Those living in the land of of great and deep darkness have seen a great light. The light has dawned. Jesus is that light. And what they looked forward to, I found this really interesting. You see this shift happening in verses 2 and 3 and 4. What you see happening is they go from talking about the gloom you're in to the future brightness that is going to dawn. And they begin to talk about the brightness as if it's already happened. They are trusting so fully in God that that light is going to dawn. Yes, it's dark now, but light is going to dawn. So much so that we can talk about it as if it's already happened. But today, you and I, it has happened. We're not waiting on this king to come. He's already come. And look what he does for us. He is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, and our prince of peace. This is one of two ways that I think we can find the light breaking into our darkness. Glory coming out of gloom is to focus now on the fact that Christ has come and this is what his life means to us. But there's a second one. What we see in this passage is they are, they're obviously looking ahead. But you also hear this language of an eternal king. Right? Uh, verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, something that they didn't know, that we know today... And this just speaks to the creativity and, uh, and uh, imagination of God 
is that this King Jesus would come and live and die and rise again and ascend and would come back to set up this kingdom forever. We are obviously not at that point yet. Christ has come. That is enough to bring us out of the gloom into the glory, out of the darkness into the light. But there is also a day that is coming when Christ will return. And so when things are looking dark now, and and even maybe recalling that Christ has come now may feel like not enough, well, guess what? There's more. There's more than just Christ has come and lived and died and ascended. He's going to come back. There is a future glory ahead of us. Revelation 21.4 explains it like this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. When things are gloomy now, it is enough to say Christ has come, but it sure helps to say and he's coming again. This present world that we are in, the darkness that we see all around us, the darkness we experience even in our own souls, Christ will come again. He will set up his kingdom that will be perfect. There will be no more tears or death or mourning or crying or pain. That day is coming. Just as sure as Isaiah's people in his day could count on this king coming for the first time, so much so they could speak as if it's already happened, you and I can do the same. We can say with certainty, Jesus is coming back. He is going to right all wrongs. He is going to make all things whole. Peace, shalom. He's going to make things whole forever. So my encouragement to you this morning is if Christmas, though it seems like it should be a season of cheer, feels more like a gloomy day, I hope that you can turn back to this passage and remember all the beauty that we see taking place in verse 6 and 7 is rooted in part of Judah's gloomy past. God was breaking into their darkness with the lightness of Christ. And He wants to do that for you today. He wants to bring the light of Christ into your darkness. And He wants to point you to the most bright day ever to come, which is the day in which He returns. So that you and I can say, yes, things are difficult. Yes, it's a challenge. But look, I have Jesus now and I'll have Him forever. He's made a difference in my life now and think of the impact he's going to make in this world when he comes again and that those truths might help us on those dark days. Those bright truths might help us on our dark days because they will come. But thank God Christ has come too and Christ will come again. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this prophetic word from Isaiah that you have spoken through him, not just to your people then, but for us today. And I just, I want to pray for hearts this morning. I know that there, there has to be at least a few of us that this Christmas season has been a real challenge. It has felt like a dark day. It has felt like gloominess in our hearts. God, I just, I just want to ask that you would lift up 
those of us who may be going through that season right now, just to encourage us, Father. Point us to the things we've talked about today, things we know already that we need to be reminded of, that Christ has come and Christ is coming again. And God, these, these truths might serve us to rejoice. We can rejoice even as we weep. God, show us how to, to embrace that and what you have done for us in Jesus. God, how, what else can we say but thank you? That you have given us this great gift of Christ to give us hope now and forever. This, God, we can't thank you enough. But we're truly grateful. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, our worship team is going to lead us in a, a beautiful song, a Christmas praise song.